Thank you for listening to a sermon from the District Church. For more information about us, please visit www.thedistrict.church. Additionally, if any of our sermons have brought encouragement to you, would you please let us know by emailing us at info at thedistrict.church. All right, you guys can go ahead and have a seat. How are we doing this morning? Good? Awesome. Uh, it is a long weekend, so we should be excited that we get to spend Monday off, right? Amen, exactly. Thank you. That's what I expected. Um, my name is Josh. I'm one of the lead pastors here at the District Church, for those of you who don't know me. Um, it is a joy and an honor to be able to open up God's Word with you guys uh, and to be able to hear and receive uh, what God has for us through His Word. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open to Colossians chapter 2. Uh, we're going to be taking a look at two verses, uh, verses 6 and 7. Right now, um, it's a, it's a transition that we're going to see. Um, if you remember from the last couple of weeks, we've been walking through Paul talking about three major themes. Uh, that Christ is the image of God, or the image of the invisible God. He is the wisdom of God, and he is the mystery that has been proclaimed of God. Um, and so he's been talking about these weighty, deep theological things that we should root ourselves in. But now as we begin to transition into the rest of the book, we'll start to see more of an application. Paul calling us to live out, or as he says today, walk in Christ and live out our faith. Here we find a hinge between the first part of the chapter, or the first part of the book, into the second part of the book, and we start to get a heavy dose of imperatives, or commands in which we should live. In fact, there's actually 28 imperatives that we're going to see throughout the next three or the next two chapters, chapter two, three, and four, um, that we will begin to see that Paul is calling us to live this way. And it starts this morning with verse six, where he says, walk in him. Now, for those of us who grew up around music, listening to like Aerosmith and Run DMC, um, you'll understand this kind of example that I'm going to give, but the title of my sermon is Walk This Way. From the song, Walk This Way. Run DMC, Aerosmith. If you had Guitar Hero, you remember it? Right? Like, no? Okay. I think there's like four people that get it. That's fine. I'm not going to sing it. Walk this way, talk this way. I don't have the guy who leads Aerosmith's voice. I, I can't even think of his name right now. Um, but... Paul calls us to walk in him, or to walk and talk this way in which we have learned in the last chapter and a half. If you remember last week, we talked about Paul's desire for the church at Colossae, as well as his desire for believers in Christ. It is for us to mature in him, that we wouldn't be deluded by plausible arguments, that we would be firm in our faith, that we would proclaim Him, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom given from God in Christ. That we would be encouraged as a body of Christ. That we would be knit together in Him. And as a body, we would have full assurance that Christ is ours and we are His. This maturity that Paul talks about is what we're going to begin to see in the next coming chapters. 
how can we confidently mature in Christ? It's simple yet profound. We walk in Him. We walk this way. See, the understanding of verses 6 and 7 of Colossians 2 is really a summary of the entire book. From the beginning part of the book and everything that we'll learn, we are to walk in Him. He summarizes for us this concern that the Christians in Colossae, as well as for us, are to remain faithful. Remain faithful in Christ. Because if we remember what Paul is dealing with as he's writing to the Colossian church, he's dealing with people who are coming in contact with false teachers who are teaching others about this special knowledge or this special experience that they are to have in order to grow in Christ. What they're ultimately saying is, yes, you can have this, but there's an additional thing that you must learn in order to be mature. And the Apostle Paul, it's interesting, is as he continues to teach about what it looks like to be mature in Christ, he doesn't respond by saying that these Gnostics or this Colossian heresy that's going on is illegitimate. He isn't saying you're not supposed to want to grow deeper in Christ. He doesn't respond by saying that you don't need to have a greater experience and understanding of the power of God in your life. What he says is the problem with these false teachers is that what they want to grow deep in in this faith, it's the wrong way. It's not, you're spo- it's not that you're supposed to have this special knowledge or this special experience, but that you're supposed to remember what you were taught in the beginning. It's to walk in what you received first. It says, I want you to grow only in the way that you can grow or you have grown in Christ so far. That's by accepting Him, by proclaiming Him. In these two short verses, Paul gives us the way in which we are to grow and we are to mature. And I'll tell you, I I really struggled this week as I prepared for this sermon because when you come to two verses, give you a little insight of my mind, like I'm thinking, okay, there must be some like grand design in which I've got to present this truth to our people. That I need to figure out like the Greek phrase means this, or what is really being said is this, so that our people can be so astonished and amazed. And then I was reminded by a faithful brother this week that these two verses have been formative in his life, knowing that he can grow and mature by being rooted and established in the faith that he was once taught. That where his faith started is also where he grows, matures. That's in Christ. And then it reminded me of my dealings with this verse, of being able to memorize it and recognize, like, this is where it began and this is how I mature. So my challenge to you this morning is if you find these two verses to be ones that you might look over, or ones that you might not necessarily think are the greatest that you can memorize or that you can have implications for your life, I would challenge you that they are. I would challenge you to slow down, to read them again, to to memorize them, to let them dwell within you so that you may grow richly in the glorious grace, mercy that God has given us. The 
the, the same faith, it's a reminder that the same faith that saved us is the same faith that grows us and matures us in Him. So we're going to do something a little different this morning. Since we only have two verses, actually, you shouldn't be shocked. I do this every once in a while. Since we have two verses, we're all going to read this together. All right? The verses will be on the screen. I'm going to be reading out of the ESV for those who have the same version. And we're going to do it together. We're going to hear God's Word. And we're going to receive what He has to say this morning. Starting in verse 6, Paul writes, Therefore, as you have received Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding. Beautiful. Let's go to the Word. Let's go to the Lord and ask Him to bless. Lord, thank You for Your grace. Thank You for the mercy that You've shown to us. Thank You that it is not something that we need to grow away from. But that it is the same thing that sustains us, that matures us, that saves us. We keep coming back to growing deeper in this truth. Christ has died for our sins. That He has reconciled us back to you. Now we are sons and daughters of yours. We are adopted in because what a what Christ has done for us. Help us to remember that. Help us to grow in that. Help us to never look past that. To be in awe and amazed that you save sinners like us. Grow us this morning. For it's in your son. In the great book, The Glorious Intruder, Joni Erickson Tata writes about the mythical standstill Christian. She compares it to other make-believe figures like goblins, unicorns, and mermaids. Tata goes on to explain Christians are either growing in the Lord or they're going backwards. That doesn't leave much room in between. It's like true love. It either grows or it begins to die. Love simply can't stand still and neither can our walk with Christ. Shifting metaphors, she concludes this thought by saying, To put it in another way, the Christian's transmission is equipped with only two gears, drive and reverse. There's no such thing as neutral, no such thing as putting it in park. So here's the question that I have for us this morning. Are we walking in this way? Are we walking this way? Are we talking this way? Are we moving and growing? Or as Paul says, are we maturing in Christ? Now, I don't want you to hear me this morning talking about a speed, right? The the Christian life is not a race. It's a marathon. And maturing in Christ should simply look like a habitual, persevering, continually, continually progressing in the faith. So are you walking... Christ. Your answer is no, or maybe your answer is maybe this morning. Great. These two verses are for you. And if your answer is yes, it's the same answer. Great, because these verses are still for you. Nothing changes. So what does this look like? What does walking in Christ look like? Paul gives us two answers. The first one is the call to walk in Christ. The second one is the characteristics of 
walking. Let's look back at verse 6. The call to walk in Christ. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. There's a beautiful structure here. The as so. As you have received Christ. So the call to walk in Christ starts with this. That you receive Him. That you have received Him. As you have received Christ Jesus the Lord. What does that mean for us? It says if you have not received Him, it means that you put aside your confidence, your own strengths, your own works, your own ability to build yourself up in order that God might see you as clean and good, and you put on Christ. Charles Spurgeon says, the eternal life which God gives His people is in no sense whatsoever the fruit of their works. It is the gift of God. As the earth drinks in the rain, as the sea receives the streams, as night accepts light from the stars, so we give nothing and partake freely of the grace of God. The receiving that we see here is not just a, I am praying a prayer and then I can walk away from that prayer and do whatever I please. The receiving is a commitment to the apostolic teachings of Christ from the Old Testament and the New and understanding His significance as Lord. It's what we teach often, right? This is the Christian story. That God has revealed Himself through the person and work of Jesus Christ. His character, His nature, His love. All of who God is, is seen in Christ. And so we continue to grow and mature in Him. Martin Luther goes on to say, it ought to be the primary goal of every Christian to put aside confidence and works and grow stronger in the belief that we are saved by faith alone. Through this faith, the Christian should increase in knowledge not of works, but of Christ Jesus and the benefits of His death and His resurrection. The benefits of His death and His resurrection that we are now as clean, as adopted sons and daughters of God. That we have union with Christ. So that's the first thing. The second thing in the call to walk in Christ is to acknowledge Christ Jesus as Lord. Notice the words that Paul uses to describe Jesus. It's to give instruction about what it means to live and to walk in Him. Paul calls Him Christ Jesus the Lord. And it's important to understand these three words here. Because Christ means the Messiah, the one who has come to save His people. But Jesus, whose very name Paul uses, is to help us be reminded that this Savior, God the Son, came to rescue sinners. And then Lord, as Paul uses the word Lord, he is reminding us that Jesus is no merely good teacher or good man or good prophet. As C.S. Lewis says, you, you can't believe that he's a good teacher or a good prophet. He's either a lunatic, a liar, or he is Lord and you have to worship him as such. He's not merely a good example. He's not even merely a Savior. He is the Savior because he is the Lord. He is God. He is ruler over all things, all people. And as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. 
This is the basic confession or baptismal verbiage that the early church would use. That I have received Christ Jesus as Lord, and then they would be baptized. This is the creed of the early church in the New Testament. So, this is who we are receiving. And then, the call to walk in Christ includes a walk. It includes the progress. It's that so part of that structure. As you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. And what Paul is trying to show us even in this structure is, as you've received Christ Jesus the Lord for salvation, walk in the same Christ as you go. Your faith doesn't become different as you've become a Christian. How you've started is how you also grow. As Ray Ortland would say, as you started, so you go. Here's the beautiful reality. How you became a Christian is the same for how you grow as a Christian. This as-so structure is a metaphor for the life of a believer. Paul is saying, walk in Christ as you have received Him as Lord. So live in Him, so walk in Him. He is calling believers to live in such a way which is consistent to what they have professed early on. And this is what we're seeing, right? Amazing grace. The line where it says, "'Twas grace that brought me here thus far." What's the next line? "'Grace will lead me home.'" It's that understanding that grace is what has brought us into the fold, and it's understanding that grace will continue on, or help us continue on until we are home. Beautiful, because we don't graduate from grace. Now, I want to bring this into some application for us because I, I know that right now we're in a season of weariness. Most of us are in a season of weariness. And I think at times when we are weary, we think that we've outgrown grace. I think some of us fall into the lie from the devil that Christ gets tired of us. Anybody feel like that? Am I the only one? Okay. He's tired of forgiving us. He's tired of our failures. He's tired of our running to our flesh, treating it as if it's our identity. Tired of filling the blank for your life. But here's the beauty and the truth of what we see this morning is that Christ is committed to you today as he was when he first saved you. I want you to hear that again. Christ is as committed to you today as He was when He first saved you. Jesus is not tired of you. And if you feel this way, He has some comforting words in Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. He says, Come to Me, all who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. Take My yoke upon you and learn from Me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. The book of John in chapter 1, verse 16, tells us this beautiful reality that we have as believers. 
It says, from His fullness we have received grace upon grace. You cannot outgrow the grace of God. You cannot outreceive the grace that God gives to us. Grace upon grace upon grace. Brothers and sisters, I hope that you never lose sight of that truth. Christ is how we've become believers. He is how we will grow as believers. So this is Paul's challenge to us. Let us walk in Him. Because walking in Him is then how we live. It's our character. It's our nature. It's what people see as we live this life. Our receiving of Christ leads us to this way of living. You, you may have heard me say this before. If you haven't, then good. You'll hear me say it at some point going on. Biblical conviction should lead to biblical conduct. Or, as a theologian would say, orthodoxy leads to orthopraxy. What you believe should lead to how you live your life. And as John 1, 2, or as 1 John 2.6 reminds us, whoever says he abides in Christ ought to walk in the same way in which he walks. Charles Weigel, a composer of the song No One Ever Cared for Me Like Jesus, once visited Pasadena, California for a biblical conference that he was singing at. And one morning before the conference, he was walking through a garden which the wind came and the fragrance of the flowers fell upon him and filled the air. And as he got to the conference, a man said to him, Dr. Weigel, I know where you've been this morning. You've toured our beautiful, lovely gardens for I can smell the beautiful aroma of those flowers on your clothing. May this be true about us, guys. Brothers and sisters in Christ here, may this be true about us. May we walk so closely to Jesus that His pleasant aroma of grace permeates all that we do. This is our command. Walk in. So what does that look like? Well, verse 7 gives us some characteristics of what walking in Christ looks like. The first one that we see is rooted. Rooted and built up in Him, established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. The first characteristic of someone walking in Christ is that they are rooted. No doubt Paul has in mind Passages from the Old Testament that talk about trees, right? You look at Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who meditates on the law of the Lord, and on his law he delights both day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and his leaf does not wither. Talk about Jeremiah 17, the righteous branch. Paul has these imageries in mind of a tree that is rooted in good soil. But what's interesting is Paul uses an agricultural metaphor here. This rooted tree, like we find in Psalm 1, shows us that it is fixed and immovable. So when the wind comes, the storm comes, that tree is not getting knocked over because its roots are deep. Its roots are drawing life and strength and nourishment from the soil. 
And the verb that we find here in this verse, rooted, is written in such a way that emphasizes a completed act. But even in that completed act, it has connotations of an ongoing progress. Oh, I love the Greek. It's very interesting. I don't think we could use words like that. But that's just a side note. But this is our union with Christ, right? This is justification for those theology nerds that want to know what this word would mean. Justification, that we are justified in God's sight because of what Christ has done for us through His blood, through His resurrection. It is a once for all salvation. Our spiritual position with Him. And now we can identify with Him. We get to participate with Him. And we are incorporated with Him. This is our union with Christ. And it is in Him that we find source of life, that we draw strength, that we continue to grow and mature. But the second characteristic that we find is the believer is built up. So as we are rooted in Christ, we are built up in Him. Paul shifts from the agricultural metaphor to a construction metaphor. You see, the verb in this first part of this verse, rooted, is in that perfect tense, once for all, right? It's a completed process with progress happening. But the verb here being built up is in the present tense, meaning it's a continual process. So both of those have this understanding that yes, you are rooted, you are saved, but there's a continual process from that salvation. This is what we would call sanctification or being made in the image of Christ. Being continually made holy as you walk in Him. If you've received Christ Jesus as, as Lord, as, as you have been rooted in the good soil, your roots are fixed. But that does not mean that your building is complete. You see, this term being built up is the same for building a house. as We use this construction metaphor, right? And if you remember this summer when we talked about gospel formed, we laid foundation upon we laid a foundation of gospel formation, and then we built our Christian house. Like building a house, there are steps, materials, there's supplies that, that we need to ultimately become that stronghold. And the beauty of being rooted in Christ is that as we're being built up, we already have the necessary supplies to grow into this home. Or to grow into this fixed house. Because we're being built up in Him. Ephesians 2, 20-22 says, But you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus Himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In Him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So not only are you rooted, fixed, once for all justified, but in that truth, you're also being sanctified. You're being made into the image of Christ. And together, these two participle 
metaphors emphasize that believers can live their lives that exemplify two things. As they live under the Lordship of Christ and remaining firmly attached to the vine, they are rooted in Him, as we see in John 15.5, and they are continually growing to look like Him, as we see in 1 Peter 2, 5-8. As Matthew Henry writes, if we live in Him, we shall be rooted in Him. And the more firmly we are rooted in Him, the more intimately we shall live in Him and grow in Him. So the second characteristic that we see of someone walking in Christ is that they are being built up. There's progress in their life that is rooted in Him. The third one we see is that they are established in the faith. And so Paul, what's interesting here is he goes from an agricultural metaphor to a construction metaphor to now an economic metaphor. And he says, by sticking to our roots and being built up in Christ, we will be established in our faith. This word established means to confirm or guarantee. It was used in the markets for the validity of a purchase. And Paul uses it here to say that if you need assurance of your faith, walk in Christ. To make sure of your profession and to know that you are a genuine believer, walk in Christ. You see, God wants us to have the gift of assurance, but He also wants us to see that we are professing the faith so that we are known as genuine believers. Now this isn't, again, if we, if we flip-flop these, this is important. If we try to flip-flop these and say that there, our works is what then assures us in our salvation as if our works is what saves us, that's where we get it wrong. But ultimately we see in this passage the pattern is that we are justified and that we are sanctified and that we can then live out and walk in Christ and know and have assurance that we are in Him because now our works are flowing from what we believe. Like James talks about, faith without works is dead. Right? So our faith is what's showing or helping us live in such a way that we are obedient to the commands of God, and that obedience then shows that we are in Him circular pattern that continues to help mature and grow us and give us assurance. This is the full assurance that Paul writes in verse 3 of chapter 2 that we read last week when he says that we are to teach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is in Christ. So how do we know that we are established? Because we're walking in Him. We walk in Him, and as Paul says, just as you were taught, so again, he is reminding us that we aren't walking any differently than the way in which we were once saved. This isn't some type of new teaching. Again, you've got to remember, he is teaching against false teachers who are telling people that you need a special knowledge and a special experience in order to then fully be mature in Christ. And Paul's saying, no, no. You don't need any type of special knowledge. You don't need any type of special experience. You already have what you need. And it's Christ. And it's Christ alone. We do not move beyond the truth that we were saved in. Our faith leads us to walk in obedience 
to his calling, and our walk confirms that faith that we have. And fourthly, the characteristic of a believer who is walking in Christ is abounding. Walking in Christ is the Christian lifestyle. First three descriptions of this Christian walk in verse 7, we see focus on what we believe, those convictions. Rooted and built up, established in the faith, just as you were taught. You can't walk in the faith without holding to these things, standing on these things. But the final description of the characteristic of someone walking in Christ is abounding in thanksgiving. It's this attitude that should separate us from the world. A healthy Christian is one that is spilling over with thanksgiving and praise. Some of the greatest and most faithful brothers and sisters in Christ that I know exemplify this. They are thankful in whatever season they're in. Whether it is a hard storm or one in which they're just living a life where it is free and easy. They are thankful and they are praising God for both. But I think there's something that we forget as believers when it comes to abounding in thanksgiving. It's actually God's will for us that we would live with this attitude. We read part of this verse this morning in our liturgy. But 1 Thessalonians 5, 16-18 says this, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. You know what you want to know the will of God? Giving thanks in all circumstances. Abounding in thanksgiving. Paul goes on to write in Ephesians 5:20, says, Give thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then as we'll see as we get into chapter 3, he writes to the Colossian church, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you are called in one body and be thankful. So this week's challenge, this is what I, this is what I want to do. I want to help us abound in thanksgiving. So I'll tell you a little bit of backstory how we're going to get to this episode. A couple weeks ago, maybe a couple months ago now, um, for those of you who know, I have a dog named Aslan, and he had some tumors that needed to be taken off of him. So we got that done. It was great. Uh, about two weeks later, he decided to rip the stitches off of his leg. Uh, he came running to the door all happy, like, look, Dad, what I did. And I was like, great, I just spent X amount of dollars to get that done. And I was freaking out. I didn't know what to do. Legs wide open. So the next morning, I try to load him in my truck, and he's a dog. He doesn't know what's going on. He's also 80 pounds, so he's hard to move. Put him in the truck, and he's just like all over the place. He's got an open wound on his knee, and I'm trying to make sure that no dirt gets in it. I don't know what I'm supposed to do at this point. I just blew up on him. Yelled at him. I honestly yelled at where I could have woke my neighbors up. And that made me step back and think, why am I yelling at my dog? Like, what, what is going on? There's frustration underlying that is being revealed in the moment here. So, and I, I, would, I would tell everyone to do this if you get into a moment like this, I sought counseling. 
started going to counseling and started to realize there were other roots that were being planted in frustration and other things that I was holding on to as idols. And one of the verses that my counselor told me to memorize is this verse. And to abound in thanksgiving. And so what he did, a part of my homework, was to create a gratitude journal. So this is my challenge to you guys this week. Create a gratitude journal. And it looks like this. Those of you who are online, I don't think we can zoom in that way. So it looks like this. You have gratitude, you have a prayer. Right? And so what you would do is at the end or the beginning of the day of remembering the night before, you write one thing that you are thankful for. And then in the next box, you have a prayer request. So at that time when I started, my prayer was, Lord, reveal to me where my frustrations are so that I can give them to you. And by God's grace, I've walked through that. And I understood and was able to uproot some idols that were leading to frustrations. But the biggest key component in me getting there was Thanksgiving. Every night sitting and writing one thing that I was thankful for. Whether it was beating Dwayne in Madden 64, or it, it does happen, but uh, or, or whether it was being able to see my family, whatever it might be. I, these small things of playing golf with Alec and Dwayne, even though I get frustrated, it's still fun to get out there. These are things that bring me joy, and I'm thankful that God would allow me to do them. And I started to see them as graces in my life. That helped me look at the character of God differently. And so if you're in a season of weariness, or even if you're not, my challenge to you this week is to create a gratitude journal to help your life abound in thanksgiving and to be reminded of the goodness that God has shown to you. Not only in Christ, as believers, we should have that thanksgiving because we know now where we stand. But also the good gifts that God gives us in everyday life. So I want to challenge you with that. And I want to close with a quote from R.C. Sproul about abounding in thanksgiving. He says, following Jesus is not simply following rules although he does give us rules to follow, as we'll continue to see in the book of Colossians. He says, Instead, obedience to Jesus is a humble embracing of his ways as we reflect on and proclaim our gratitude for salvation. The true Christian life is, first and foremost, a life of thanksgiving. Does this sound like you? Because if it does not, it could be a sign that your faith has some type of sickness or something that needs to be pulled out so that you can abound in thanksgiving. And the basis in which we abound in thanksgiving is verse 6. As we have received Christ Jesus. This is my hope. This is my challenge. And I pray that we would be a people that abound in thanksgiving, that are rooted, built up, and established in the faith so that we can go into the world and proclaim this great truth that we have. One of the ways that we proclaim the truth every single week is in communion. 
So I'm going to have the band come up. We're going to start to close our gathering this morning by being reminded of the reality that we are in as believers. That we have received Christ Jesus as Lord through His death and His resurrection. And communion is that reminder that this is who we are in Him. That we no longer are alienated from God, separated from Him, but now He delights in us because of Christ's sacrifice. And we get to celebrate that in partaking of this gift. So when you drink and you take this bread, think of what Christ has done for you. But I would also encourage you to look around to see those who Christ has also saved and remember that communion isn't just about the here and now, but it's also about looking towards the wedding feast of the Lamb where those who are taking communion now will be celebrating with us what Christ has done. We will be celebrating Him together. So it's a picture of the future reality that we will have because we are in Christ. So let's pray. Believe the elements are under your seat. So when I close in prayer, you guys can partake as you please, and we can continue to worship God in song. Lord, thank you for your grace. Thank you for what we have received in Christ. Lord, that we are no longer alienated, that we are no longer separated from God because of our sin. That you now look upon us with the same love and the same joy and the same delight as you do Christ. And so, Lord, as we come to communion, help us to remember that. Help us to be thankful for that. And and help us to remember that truth throughout this week so that it would be the foundation in which we abound in thanksgiving. Lord, challenge us this week. We should be the most thankful people here on earth because of what you have done for us. Help us to remember that. Help us to live that out for your glory and our joy. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to a sermon from the District Church. For more information about us, please visit www.thedistrict.church. Additionally, if any of our sermons have brought encouragement to you, would you please let us know by emailing us at info at